You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast produced by Veteran Strategies and featuring conversations with fascinating and impactful men and women who have shaped our world, our communities, and our history. My name is Robert Vane, Principal of Veteran Strategies, and your host for our discussion. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, an Indiana-based public relations enterprise and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and NFP, a national insurance broker with strong local content. Our podcast is featured on the All Indiana Podcast Network in partnership with Wish TV. You may find Leaders and Legends at allindianapodcastnetwork.com. Thinking of starting a podcast or need to host a public meeting? Let Leaders and Legends LLC be your partner as you look for new ways to communicate your message. Please contact Chris Spangle or me at leadersandlegends.net. And as always, all our podcast interviews are dedicated to the legacy and generosity of P.E. McAllister. Thank you for joining us on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our guests today are Diane Masariu and Lisa Dietrich, longtime, longtime friends and movers and shakers, leaders and legends here in the city of Indianapolis. That's for sure. And speaking of the latest, it's the Hall of Famer, Jim Shella. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. You're always such a welcome guest on these quote unquote political podcasts. And so they make them, they're so much better with you here. And congratulations. Thank you. How long have you known these young ladies? Oh, my goodness. Um, I'm pretty sure. I met Diane in 1983, I would guess, um, when I first covered the General Assembly. And uh, Lisa, probably just about the same time. Yeah, only I would have been with the Hudnut campaign. Right. So that's, right. and, but then I moved over to the State House in 88. So Diane was a I member. I walked in the doors of the State House in 1975. Yeah. Diane was a <laughs> member of the State House staff for 31 years. She's been recognized for her considerable knowledge and insight into the legislative process through a variety of roles in the Indiana House of Representatives. She was principal clerk during 2003 and 2004. She also served as policy director for the Democratic Caucus and administrative assistant for two speakers, one House minority leader, and a Democratic leader. Lisa, prior to joining Ice Miller, was a lobbyist with the Indianapolis firm of Ed, Sweetheart, Tracy, and Associates. My Ed's going to love listening to this podcast. He is going <laughs> yeah, to love this I love Ed, Tracy. Uh, Everybody loves Ed, Tracy. She was also campaign manager for then Indianapolis Mayor Bill Hudnut in 83 and 87. Mm-hmm. And there's all kinds of connections because Ed Tracy's come on the podcast. People you've worked for, John Gray, come on the podcast. Hudnut's campaign manager in 79 came on the podcast mark miles that's right during 1984 lisa was the executive director of the indiana reagan bush re-election campaign 
we need to talk about that as it relates to the ore race in 84. Mm-hmm. Lisa joined Ice Miller in 1993. They're both delightfully, lovely, <laughs> wonderfully foul-mouthed, incredibly <laughs> respected. <laughs> Jim, it's all on you. Well, what, what you both are uh, at the moment is uh, you're lobbyists. We are. Correct. Um, and we're younger than you, but not Well, it, but, and that means we won't talk about age. I'm that fragrant drinker. <laughs> we're, you're, you're, you used to be Baker and Daniels. We're fragrant drinker. I thought she called yeah. you a heavy drinker. <laughs> I did, too. Um, it's the, the law firm formerly known as, as Baker and Daniels. But don't they have – they're still fragrant drinker? They're, they're getting another name, aren't they? No, we're not. No. Not that I'm aware of, at least now. They're passing them around. How are um, you? <laughs> and Lisa's at Ice Miller. I am. Yes. Okay. So, uh, by definition, if you're a lobbyist, you spend a lot of time in the hallway at the state house, and those are marble floors. So, my first question is, what are your shoe recommendations? Well, I have to admit that walking into the office today, I had on soft-soled shoes, and just for you all, I changed them to something a little bit more appropriate. But all those many years, and I'll probably agree, of being in heels has not helped my feet. And I remember... Or my back. <laughs> or, or, yeah, or your back. I remember at one point, the famous and infamous um, Bill Colbert uh, had said, well, you know, maybe what we need here are some rugs outside the hall in front of each chamber. And I was like, you know, I'm sure... We'll get them, and you'll find a way to make all of us pay for them, and you'll take the credit. <laughs> and lo and behold. And lo and behold. <laughs> and we got benches. Benches. We now too. have benches. Yep. So you don't have to stand the whole time. No. 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 Yeah. Any shoe recommendations? I'm with her. Wear tennis shoes over. Put your heels on. We're girls. We, we have do. egos. Yep. You know, you want to look good. And actually, I have, because I do that, and I walk in the north door uh, over through the parking lot and sit there and change shoes, I have some great conversations because that's how legislators come in. And I'm, I mean, I just sit there on the bench and just wait for people while I'm changing shoes. And I'm like, well, this is a fabulous. She is her very own Mary Tyler Moore, (laughs) seriously, when she walks in. (laughs) Okay. One part of your bio that that Robert left out, Lisa, is that you grew up in Pennsylvania. I did. Uh, How'd you get to Purdue and Indiana? So I grew up in Greencastle, Pennsylvania, for which Greencastle, Indiana is named, by the way. Uh, A little tiny uh, speck on the map. uh, right by the Mason-Dixon line, uh, about an hour and a half from the Beltway in D.C. Uh, what brought me? What brought me to Indiana? Um, if my wonderful late father were around, he would say, "Yep, that's right." Is that I applied to three schools because we're all about football in Pennsylvania. I applied to three schools with great names in football, and those three were Auburn, USC, and Purdue at the time. Purdue, Bob Greasy, etc. Bob Greasy, et right? that's right. And um, uh, we used to love watching. NFL football, and so it was like, okay, I don't want to go in state. I'm going out of state, and I wanted to go to USC, and I got into all three, and my dad said, well, good for you. I'll pay for Purdue. I was not stupid. Went to Purdue for uh, all four years, graduated, and love kept me in Indiana because I met my husband, Andy, there. So that's how I made it to Indiana and stayed. So I am, you know, I try to be a Hoosier, but I'm always a boiler. <laughs> I understand. Oh, I understand. <laughs> uh, Hoosier by choice. Yeah. Um, Diane, you went to Speedway High School. I did. And we got something going on out there this month of May. I don't know if you've heard about it or not. <laughs> I have. 
Um, and you got to the state house uh, through family connections, correct? Nope, I actually got there by default. I had, um, <laughs> quite frankly, yeah, my, yeah, actually, mom had, was there working at the time, but I had gotten a scholarship to go to beauty school. And, um, you know, that old line, beauty school dropout, I had realized I did not want to do that for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And um, by then was not able to go to, you know, to enroll in college. Everybody had started, gone. And it was just like, well, you're not going to sit around and do nothing. So at that time, I brought my shorthand down to the state house. And the rest is history. I got bit by the bug and I never looked back. Phil Bainbridge was a speaker when I got hired at 18. Uh, and you, your mother was there for a long time. She I, twenty I, years. Twenty years, and she served as house clerk, uh, much as you did. She served later. as house clerk in the first fifty-fifty split. She and Sharon yep. Thuma in nineteen eighty-eight, and we were the first mother-daughter clerks elected in the United States. You're when really I became cool. clerk, she held yeah. the Bible. When she became clerk, yeah. I held the Bible. Yeah, we worked together for twenty years. How was that? Awesome. She was my best friend. She's a rock star. She was just great. You know, she was just great. Very memorable. She she was very memorable. Um, did we mention her first name, Betty? Betty. Betty. Yeah. Um, she had the perfect temperament for working at the state house with legislators and staff and everyone else. Perfect temperament. Um, tell me about working with Bill Hudnut, Lisa, um, because. Uh, I've known some other folks who have been Hudnut staffers. Um, he, he, you know, he was the happy-go-lucky guy in public. He was the leprechaun in the parade. Yep, he was, yep. he was the guy in the stocking cap riding the snowplow. Yep. Uh, behind the scenes, uh, not so much. Yeah, he could. You know, I mean, I, I think we all know who, who you know those of us who've worked with and for elected officials, and you know that there's a public persona and there's there's the, your private persona. And um, I think I, my only knowledge of Bill Hudnut before I really came. To, to work there was what I what little I saw because I, wa- I wasn't from here right but um, I quickly learned and, and I, I managed uh, his 83 campaign then worked on the Reagan campaign in 84 and then went inside the mayor's office in 85 and 86 as an executive assistant and um, typically when when Bill did anything political even in his role as mayor, if he traveled and went to Lincoln Day dinners, for instance, 42 in one year, all of them with green beans. Um, <laughs> I typically traveled with him because I had I knew political folks and that sort of thing. So, so that's typically what what I would do after uh, you know after he got off work. But but I quickly learned that if if he if you didn't give it back to him the, as much as he gave it to you, you were toast. So you better stand your ground. And he wanted he wanted to hear what he what lots of elected officials didn't want to hear, and and people got whittled out of that inner circle if they were just yes men or yes women, and you just had to say this is just crap. You you can't do this. This is just silly. And and even even to this day, uh, back before he passed away, he'd call up and say, you know, somebody called me and asked me to write this letter to the editor, and I was thinking, or to take a stand on something, and I was thinking that I really should. That would be a good idea. So I wanted to see what you'd say. And I'm like, okay, fine. You want to do it, great. But I'm going to write your political obituary. And I started, and I just rattle off. Bill Hudnut did these five things, but then he did these three really silly ass. <laughs> and, and he's like, okay, I figured you'd say that, but I won't do it. So that's where it went. Well, I, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll tell a story that a, that a friend of mine told me. He he was on Hudnut's staff, um, 
and got tired of being berated. And so one day he went over to the city market and he bought a sandwich and a, and a, a beverage. And he went back to his office and he called the mayor and said, I'd like you to come to my office. And uh, he showed the mayor a chair, handed him the sandwich and the beverage and said, I just want you to listen for a minute and unloaded on him. Just let him have it, figuring he'd be fired. And when he, when he got done, the mayor looked at him and said, welcome to the team. <laughs> I mean, perfect example, right? He just didn't want, he wanted people who pushed back and had his best interests in mind, right? But he wanted people to say, this is why you should or shouldn't do this. And you may have thought all night it was a great idea when you were writing this down, you know, oh, I should do this, but it's not. And here's why. And, and if you did that and you challenged him and, and it, was, it, it was well thought out, then you were on the team. And, and that team got, there were fewer and fewer of us at the end, right? So... Right. Um, Diane, you worked with some pretty colorful folks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> who, who would you categorize as the mo- most colorful? Uh, you know, it, it's got to be John Gregg, um, quite frankly. Um, that was probably a given with everybody sitting around this table, quite frankly. Um, you but, were his administrative assistant? I was. Tim Jeffers was chief of staff. And Jerry Williams and John Taylor were there on the inside. Um, John Taylor, we lost. Um, one of the smartest guys, brightest guys I've ever had the good fortune of knowing and working next to. Just uh, was an absolute delight. Jerry Williams, they just don't come any better than Jerry Williams. He was just smart. Um, there, I mean, you could come in. Craig Fry and I were just visiting the other day, and Craig came in, and he would say, I need to find a place for this. And Jerry, the legislator looking for a place for Jerry always, language. Yep, and, and Jerry always knew. Jerry always yep. knew. Yeah. Um, you know, there was Mark Cruzan, you know, was very colorful. And if you could find him, and I always knew where he was. <laughs> Cruiser always made sure that I knew where he was on the chance that they needed him. Well, you, you know, know, you know that his office was just off the media balcony. And um, uh, my photographer and I used to use the couch in that office. Uh, we, we called it the Channel 8 Annex because uh, <laughs> that, that was where we would go and, and just listen to the, the speaker. Of what in, There was an audio speaker in there that you could listen to what was going on on the House floor. It was a lot more comfortable place to sit oh, than on the media balcony while you were waiting for something to happen. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> And you got to mention Chet Dobas too. I mean, you talk about somebody else that, yeah, you got to talk about Chet. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, you had a lot of fun. We had a great time. I mean, it was it was a lot of fun. But people got along back then. They did. That we don't get. Yeah, I, we it don't doesn't get work so well over there these days. It's I mean, it's not the way it used to be. I mean, it is just not the way it used to be at all. Are the is the disconnect or the discontent? as much within the party as it is between parties? In other words, with the Republican supermajority, do they have trouble getting along, or is it just R's and D's fussing? Um, personally, I think that um, the R's and D's have gotten along better this year than they have in the last 10 years. Hmm. I think that the they've got their own Achilles heel within their own caucuses, right? With the supermajorities, uh, Todd Houston is a great guy. Uh, you know, he, he's I mean, he's got a lot of cast to hurt, mm-hmm. um, and he doesn't have the longevity that Brian Bosma did. And Bosma did a great job. You know, Bosma was a great speaker. Like him or not, you can pick or choose. But you know, Brian did a great job. Um, and there is, I mean, the, there is that disconnect. 
Um, and in the Senate, you know, with all the stuff that's gone on over there this year, um, with the change in leadership uh, and with that many people, and quite frankly, the two chambers don't know each other. I don't ever, if I'm ever out, do I ever assume that a senator knows a representative or vice versa, sometimes even in the same party. You know, when, we, when we've hosted joint House-Senate dinners, mm-hmm. you've got to know that when walking in, the senators don't know the House members and the House members don't know the senators. I, I want you to, to give me some details on, a, on an old story from when you were John Gregg's administrative assistant. Um, I've been told that uh, it, it was a redistricting year. Mike McDaniel was a state Republican chairman, um, and he uh, he wanted to have a speaker a, a meeting with then Speaker uh, Greg to try to work out some details, and um, wanted it to be in private. And it was in my van that we drove around <laughs> the, city, the city of Indianapolis. I love it. I went over to the hotel and got Johnny on it. You know, as he was living at the time with Bill Cochran, God rest his soul, was just a doll. And uh, Wines Apple, Jonathan had come to the legislature and I said, you know, you need to let him live with you. And so those three boys lived together over there. And I got Johnny and went back and got McDaniel and got in the van and... Um, Yes, there was a. You we, drove around downtown while the yes. two of them conversed in the back seat. <clears throat> yes, we. Yeah, <laughs> those were the days when you. That's how you got deals done, right? <laughs> right. There seems to be a bit. You read a lot about, and no one's going to be against this, right? It's like being against safe baby food, but you know we must have more transparency, more transparency. And I've had more than one conversation with a reporter. I'm like, well, the more transparency you have, the more partisan it's going to be you want deals to get done then that means the the, the smoke-filled room has to return or the smoke-filled van <laughs> yeah. has, has to return <clears throat> like the only way they can get a lot of these things done is in private is that a fair assessment lisa I and diane i do play it's a fair assessment i do i think so too and and i i mean there you know a couple different kinds of transparency one is you know the scrutiny that all the the leaders have you know that everybody's watching where you're going and what you're doing and it seems like if you even take a step one way there's three people with a camera and posted on social media before you even can take a breath then i think the other you know the other transparency is and this from the the perspective of the public is is very good when diane and i jim were over there you know we didn't have you weren't live streaming committee meetings you weren't live streaming every breath that was taken over at the state house and so from the public's um facing forward, looking in, they have that opportunity. They can be connected if they want to follow an issue, a bill, a, um, a rally, something that's going on. They have that opportunity each day in the, in the state house to do so when they're in session. But I, I really feel like what it then has done is that it's tough to get those deals made and cut. It, you know, they used to get up at the microphone and they would go at each other on issues and things. And just, you would think that that there would be fisticuffs in the hall. And they'd stop. They'd either break for dinner or they'd adjourn for the day. They'd go out and they'd have a beer, sit there and talk, and come back in and go, you know, we had a chat about this, and we think that we can find some common ground here. And so we're going to offer an amendment or we're going to do something on, on, in the second house. And, and it would all get worked out. And people were slapping each other on the back, and they were, there were friendships that were made. And, and the... That just doesn't happen as much now, um, I think, in this process. But I do agree with Di that I think this year a concerted effort has been made 
with the freshman class coming in, and there have been a lot of them, to try and find either mentors or just get to know someone who is across the aisle, either in a different chamber or in a different caucus. And it, I think it has worked out really well. And you've seen more members of the minority party having bills heard and, and putting majority party members on on their bills as second authors or second sponsors. I mean, it's. I, I feel like that has been a, bre- a bit of a breakthrough, and I yeah. hope it continues. Well, and make no mistake about it. I mean, to the victor goes the gold. And when the Democrats were in control, the same thing happened. That's correct. I mean, right. you better have a D on there before you go to think about putting an R on there. That's just how, I mean, that's just how the life is, sure. right? But the numbers make the, the change bigger. I mean, with, there's no balance. I mean, the numbers used to be closer. They had to get together. Quite frankly, there wasn't as much to do in downtown Indianapolis as there is now. Right. You know, they were together more. They, they would socialize more. I mean, they really, truly did have a bond that they don't have now. And I will tell you... People can't see me right now, but I'm lifting up my phone. And in as much as this has done great things for us to be able to, you know, ask Siri, blah, blah, and you're going to get an answer. This has been such a divide, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. on people just spewing whatever on God's green earth they're thinking. There's no filter. Um, And there isn't a filter. It's unfortunate. Twitter? I'm saying Twitter's a problem. I'm saying all of it is a problem. (laughs) Well, I'll just say that Lou Gehrig just called me. Do you want me to call him back and so he can be a part of this uh, conversation? I do love him. <laughs> there was an election. Was it 96? Was that the split? The second split? What was the second 50-50? Was it later than that? I've, we've 19, had people. The first one was 1988. Right. Which okay. is when I, when I started lobbying. And I've, we've had people on the show, Jim, who have talked about how the first 50-50 split was kind of when things started to turn and get more partisan. Well, that was that was a tough moment. Well, it, yeah, we, I mean, we were was, there for a long time. If you recall, well, we, we left or, on Thanksgiving or, morning. Yeah, we yeah organization go, yeah. day. Organization day, where they select a speech speaker started on Tuesday, and uh, it ended sometime after midnight on Thursday morning. Um, I remember, I you know, lawmakers had gone home. I still had to write stories and 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 put TV stories together. Uh, I think I got home uh, just a little before the sun came up on, on Thanksgiving morning. Yeah. It was Noah's Ark. Um, and it worked it well, was. quite it, frankly. It, it, you know what? It actually did. It, yeah. really, it worked very well. Well, and it, it, it depended on, what's, on what side of the issue you know, we were on because all bills got hurt. I mean, if, if, if the D's were here in their bills, the R's were here in their yep. bills, you had co-chairs. And they had uh, a wild card that they could use. And they did have a wild yeah. card. And you had proxies. I mean, it was it was good. It was well, it, 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 it part of part well. of what happened was uh, it, prior to the to that, um, we experienced uh, the speakership of J. Robert Staley, who uh, had, uh, as it turns out, uh, in the in the view of a lot of people, too much power. And when they went to the to the co speaker arrangement with new rules, mm-hmm. they took away the, a lot of the power of the speaker. Yeah, gave it to the members. They did. That's right. Yeah, it was. It was. You're right. You're exactly right. You know, back to to Di's point about about the phone um, and and the impact of of phones and social media. And, and I mean, I remember getting the first my first portable phone, so to speak, that was as big as a brick. Right. 
and at the state house, but that was a really big deal, you know, to that you had you had a portable phone because you didn't well, have to go. Do you remember Warren Spangle with his wife? Oh dear God, yes, <laughs> he was the first. He had like two <laughs> of them. Right? He, he, he was, was a, a lobbyist, a, lobbyist for the restaurants. Yes, ahead of his time. Yes. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I, I mean, he was, yeah, he would walk around, he'd have at least two phones and sometimes, or two, two walkie talkies. And sometimes he'd had them simultaneously held up one to each ear. And he, I don't know if he was having the people with, in talking to one another on each of these. It was, it was terrible, but I will say the other thing, and this, this speaks to Jim. Warren was a good lobbyist. He was a very good, he he was always, he was always working the beer baron pill. And if you wanted a vote count before they put him on the board, Warren could give it to you. could give it to you. But to I, I will um, take up to uh, to Jim and the the third estate, if you will. That I mean, you know, I came in in '88. What was it in '90? What what year did the the in '95 was it that the Indianapolis News no longer um, existed? Right. So you didn't have two daily papers in downtown Indianapolis. And then in 2000, Gannett buys um, buys the Star. And in the meantime, you know, we were used to we were used to full time media at the State House. With bureau offices, either upstairs on four or downstairs, you know, up in the hutch and, or downstairs, and covering day to day activities. And the star, at least, if not both the star and the news, would have a picture every single day of legislators on the floor or in committee or doing something and talk and, and would have a full page and usually a jump discussing issues. And I think that brought, even though clearly it wasn't live streaming, but that brought the process to people. And who understood what was, you know, who were interested, who understood what was going on at the state house. And it's sad to see nowadays that a lot of the coverage is gone. A lot of that coverage is gone, right? And I know Jim, right. you know, you can certainly speak to that. But we just don't have as much full time coverage as as we have. Have, so. have either of you had the pleasure of being interviewed by Jim live on television or for a package? No, no. Thank God. This is our first. Well, right first here. of all, first of all, in Diane's case, there, uh, staff was forbidden from mm-hmm. from going on camera, with the exception of Wanda Reese. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, Wanda! Yeah, I told you we should have had wine. <laughs> this could go on for quite it's some good. time if we would have had cocktails. But oh no, she's, she's the one staffer who I did interview who almost got fired for it. So. <laughs> You probably had an interview with Schreiber, I'm sure, back well, then. Well, yeah, yeah, but, um, well, Schreiber, of course, would, would he was go on, on your show. He would go on Indiana That's Week right. in Review. Yeah, 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 he would serve as a party spokesperson, but he was chief of staff. So, I mean, you could talk to the, you could talk to the folks on top of the totem pole, and you could talk to the media relations people, but even the media relations people seldom went on camera. True. Um, and neither yeah. of you were ever on Indiana Week in Review? You weren't, no. Lisa? No. No. You chose John Hammond over. <laughs> I love John Hammond, but you no. chose John Hammond. He, he is oh, a Republican no, no. National Committee. That's right. uh, he, he gets he all the a, respect in the world. He's it. a Dietrich. <laughs> no, thanks. No, thank you. <laughs> we had uh, we did have a very small cast, I can tell you, because I thought I thought that the audience uh, should be familiar with who they were listening to and maybe be able to compare what they said this week to what they said last week. Hey, is the person Person who did the two riffer weeks in the Republican chair because McDaniel went to an NCAA tournament game. Yeah, I remember that. I saw him afterward. I said, I ought to throw you down these stairs. <laughs> and McDaniel you. just started laughing. He goes, I looked out again, didn't I? <laughs> ask a question real quick. Uh, Lisa, you mentioned that I'm going to ask uh, Diane the same thing. You're listening to the Leaders and Legends podcast. 
co-host Jim Shella, along with Diane Masariu and Lisa Dietrich. You mentioned someone you loved a few minutes ago who I love. He's he's more like my father, acts Ed like Tracy. him, talks like him, looks like him from the East Coast, Ed Tracy, than anyone I've ever met in politics. Uh, tell me about your your relationship with him, both political in terms of working for him and, yeah. and why you love him. Oh, yeah. So... Um, well, I mean, for for those who who don't know Ed Tracy, and probably even for those who do, and and uh, he's he is he is such a, a great character, and he is someone who thoroughly enjoyed what he did, thoroughly enjoyed the lobbying process, and was fabulous at it. Taught me how to count votes and how to read people and how to um, to really to frame issues and put them into perspective. And um, truth be told, when I went to work for Ed, it was to be a two-month assignment because I had just, I had, uh, just ended the 87 Hudnut campaign and I um, was looking for some, for what am I going to do next? What's what's my um, my next step? And uh, I knew that it was time to stop doing full time politics. <laughs> it, it just was. It was. It, it, we it, all come to that. You come to that conclusion, and you're like, you know, I have too many yard signs for like three or four years worth of campaigns in my car. It's time to in the trunk. I got to clean these suckers Bruce out Melcher and move for on. Congress. Yeah, and. Um, <laughs> And so, um, and so, uh, Drew Young, who was uh, at the time uh, someone I'd known who was in politics, ran for Marion County Prosecutor, also was a trial lawyer. And he said, "Hey, I got this guy. He's a Democrat. He's looking for a Republican to help lobby. Um, he represents a couple of clients. One of which are the Indiana Travelers Association. Are you interested in I chiropractor and the and the chiropractors? And he's like, are you interested? And um, He's like, it, it's two months. The session, it was a short session. It was 88. He says, it's two months. I'm going, hell, I can do anything for two months, right? And then I'll figure out what I really want to do. And I, I, I'm in really pretty embarrassed to say this, but um, I will, that on the first day of the session in 1988 was the first day I walked into to the Indiana State House ever because I'm not from here, didn't get the fourth grade class trip, right? So I didn't know where anything was. And uh, so that's what I did. I had to go find the bill room and all those good things. You and, stayed five uh, years with Ed. And I stayed uh, until 93 with Ed and then came to Ice Miller, and this is my 30th year at Ice Miller. Do you want to chime in on Ed, Ed Tracy? Well, I got to Ditto, to, good ditto to what Lisa said. I mean, there is nobody like Ed Tracy. I mean, he, I've known him since I walked into the state house. Yep. Um, and Ed always did his homework. And he was always kind. Yep. He was always reasonable. Yep. I don't recall ever really seeing him ever losing his cool. Um, he, so you never worked for him. <laughs> I didn't work for him. No, I did not. I did not. I would see him. Because I was on the inside, you yeah. know, so I was like the gatekeeper. But, you know, Ed is just, he's one, he, you could learn so much from him. Um, he never came into anything blind. He knew, he knew more about the situation or about the bill or anything. I mean, he always did his homework. Yeah. And he was there till the last dog died. He was. I yep. mean, you know, he would damn near close the doors of the state house and then was like, okay, I can go. Ed Trace is left. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he has left the building. But he's, he, that, he's that good. He, he loved the process. He did. He, he knew how he knew how to read people, and again, he taught me how to count votes. And that that there is a there is a nuance to that 
because, you know, he's like, there are five ways to count votes. Well, legislators don't, they don't mislead you, do they? they you know what? They, I will say, here's what I will say. I don't think legislators intentionally mislead you, but I think you have to understand how individual legislators make up their decisions and what they mean when they tell you where they are on a bill. And, and that is just human nature. And sometimes uh, it, there's one or two of them that vote with the last person they talk to. There, we there do are have a few of those. Of those. Still up. There were um, a few of those. Um, <laughs> yes, we do. I have to say though that the old guards, and I'll put myself in that position. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, Lisa and I both. I just said yep. earlier we're both on Route sixty six. Yep. Um, have, and Ed had and has still to this day, um, and others that are there, the old guards. I refer to the old guards have the respect of the institution. The institution yes. is bigger than all of us. Yes. And there's so many people over there right now that they just don't get it. Yeah. They got elected and it's all about them. It's not about them. Yeah. They're going to come and they're going to go. And the institution's got to stand. Right. And we have That's to right. protect the institution. That's what needs to be protected. Let's, let me please reverse the question. Who, Diane, who is the Republican who you love okay. as, as Lisa loves Ed Tracy? I love John Keeler. I adore John Keeler. He's a damn good man. He, he is the greatest of the greats. Yes. Yes. Yeah, he absolutely is. There's a whole bunch of them, but he's at the top he of my was, list. Yeah. John Keeler, Barnum. Yep. How long have you known Keeler, Lisa? Gee, I, can't, I think the, well, first, the first 50 times I saw you in my life, you yeah, were in a room with John I, well, Keeler. Well, it would be, yeah, it would be because of um, politics, right? I mean, you can, in political, you know, on the political end, the, the large P political end, being involved in politics before I came to the state house, I knew John Keeler. Keeler was a state representative. He was chairman of the Marion County Republican mm-hmm. Party. Yep. Uh, Marine then Marine Corps, as I recall. He worked at yep. Baker and Daniels as an attorney. Yeah. Uh, and was with Keeler, Manweiler, and another uh, Toby. They had. Uh, they, yeah, they had. Wasn't there a firm? They had a. Yeah, it was Murray Clark, yeah. Toby McClain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That <laughs> was. McDaniel. Love that yeah. Toby McClain rock, too. Oh, yeah, and, I mean, yeah. yeah. I, like, you know, my Rolodex. Of... I'm just like, it's going through my head. <laughs> There's too many. <laughs> There's Tell too many. When you guys got. Let me ask one more question and then go ahead. When you guys got started, I mean, I've spent, you know, not nearly as many hours at the state house as you three, but, you know, thousands. Um, were there that many female lobbyists? And how did you, because it's obviously grown, you know, there's considerable, really strong lobbyists. There were, you know, strangely enough, there were always more female lobbyists in the last week. <laughs> <laughs> Like to expand? Huh? You want to expand? <laughs> it just it, and I'm not making this up, and I'm not trying to be crass. Uh, in the it, when it when it came down to crunch time, it seemed like there were a lot more young ladies in short skirts out in the hallway. Am I wrong? I'm just not even going. Uh, to not touching. <laughs> you can tell they currently go to the state house. <laughs> you know, there's more women though. Period. Right? There's more women in, right. the, in the house and in the senate, and there are more, more women elected in officials the, in, generally. In the hallway, yeah. Although I think when I first started lobbying, we had more women in the chambers, uh, maybe even in the house, because there just there were more women mm-hmm. elected to office. And then for a while, then there was this like like we hardly had. Any new women getting elected? Well, that's to, yeah, I agree with that. But yeah, I would say it's now on the upswing. You are listening to great ones. You are that's all right. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, an Indiana-based public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and NF 
P, a national insurance broker with strong local content. Our guests today are Diane Masariu, Lisa Dietrich, Hall of Famer Jim Shella. We're talking about the old guard, the new guard, the state house, and anything else we can think of. <laughs> <laughs> well, Diane, you, you talked about uh, being the gatekeeper. You had a desk right outside the house speaker's door, and you were the person who everybody who wanted to talk to the speaker came to. Um, I'm guessing that uh, you had an encounter or two that that uh, was memorable for somebody insisting that they needed to get into the speaker's office. You know, actually, I didn't have anybody that would come in. And well, there were times when maybe Mike or John didn't want to see somebody, but I would make them see somebody, uh, even if it was for five minutes. Mike. Uh, Phillips. Phillips. You know, I worked for him as well when he was speaker. Um, you know, and those days were the days that, you know, you just wanted to wrangle them. Um, I mean, you know, we'll call a spade a spade. Look, we all have a job to do. And so part of the job is fundraising, right? It's a part that nobody likes. But at the end of the day, you know, all you got to be able to do is go back to their client and say, I met with a speaker. Like, that's a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal to be able to say that, right? Right. Um, But I thought I did get to see. I mean, obviously, everyone did have to come past me in order to get through. But um, one of my favorite things uh, when I sat at that desk was having coffee every morning with Jim Smith. God rest his soul. Who was Jim, Jim Smith? Jim Smith was uh, here. He was a lobbyist, lobbyist for the law firm of Johnson Smith. Johnson. Well, but he started with Orr. Yeah, right. You he know? did. Um, right, he was on Bob Orr's staff. Mm-hmm. He was the kindest soul. And he was at the State House every morning. He would come in early because he knew I was there. He would get his coffee. He would just sit in the corner, get his little paper, read the paper, have coffee, maybe chat, and then give me a hug and out the door he went and on his way. What about... What about news media trying to get into see Mr. Speaker? <laughs> you know, I, we, there was never a problem with any of that. I mean, these guys were they were there all the time. I don't you, we don't see it anymore like it was. I mean, hell show would I mean, you know, when session was over, he had a mic in somebody's you know, like boom and asking a question and they were taking time and Jim was, you know, filming. It doesn't it's not like it used to be. I mean, it was just like boom boom or and you you were so well respected and liked. Um, that I know in my heart that there, you couldn't have gone to one member and asked a question and they wouldn't have given you an answer. And I think that goes for a lot. When oh, I, you happened. know, you're talking about media, Moose Roberts and those guys start coming back. You know, when you guys, when the shacks were upstairs, mm-hmm. right. you know, everybody sat around, uh, Bob Ashley with a cigarette oh, hanging God. out of his mouth and blah, blah. I mean, you know, yeah. those days well, in the press shoot, club, you had well, people went oh, to the yeah. press club, right? Sitting around shooting the shit. I mean, it was, it was, um, Sorry. It was, <laughs> you know, it was different. Yeah, it was different. Well, and, and you mentioned the press club, and Lisa earlier talked about uh, folks having an argument on the floor and then going to get a beer. Yep. I mean, when, when the press club was across the street, uh, it, I think it contributed to a different uh, atmosphere in the state house. Completely. There was a lot of uh, socializing, um, and party didn't matter. Um, Maybe we should do a podcast, Jim, on the press club. That's not a bad idea. Oh, I, it was so. Why much did it fun. die? I mean, what happened? Well, uh, I think there were a number of factors, um, including the fact that it 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 never uh, was very uh, on good financial footing. Yeah, um, I think that really was it. 
Yeah, it uh, it started it, at the top of the ISTA building, which was awesome to be up there and be able to look over at the state house and you could see who was leaving. Like maybe if you were waiting on somebody, yeah, like a legislator, like oh they're walking to their car, yeah. boom, man. like like you know, go do whatever, right? Yep. And yep. then we got moved to the basement. Yeah, you know, moved right. to the basement. Yes. Yes. Um, but it was. You know, it was kind of like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Yeah. You know, with the press club, everybody, everybody well, there got was along. a rule. There, there was, was a, rule. a rule. It was you, it was the press club, so that so the, the press was was welcome. But but the the unwritten rule was that everything that happened there was off the record. And I didn't could, the sign say non-working members of the press. I think when you came in, that could yeah. be. Yeah. I can tell you, I had some I had some conversations in the press club that that uh, you re- can't talk about. <laughs> no, that that required follow up the next day. Um, and I would call up the, the person I talked to and said, okay, we were off the record last night, but now I want to be on the record. And, and we'd start over again. Um, and and the fo- I think members of the press who belonged and, and who went there observed that. Yeah, that's right. I agree. Because I, I feel like legislators and lobbyists alike felt comfortable coming over there, right? They, it's like, oh, and it was right next door, right? So it was yeah. fabulous. I only got food poisoning there once. <laughs> Which actually, Lisa, you you know you started in, in in Indiana Republican politics at a time where Indiana Republicans were running everything, mm. literally every county office, the mayor, probably all the statewide. Hell, a Democrat hasn't been elected state treasurer since the seventies, state auditor since my senior year in high school. Then Evan Bay shows up. Mm-hmm. And brings eventually Bart Peterson to the mayor's office. How big of a shock was that to you, or was well, it a don't shock? Don't forget, don't forget, Joe Hogsett, the Secretary of State, um, in, in a race against one Bill Hudnut. Yeah. yeah, I was. That was my next question. Okay, yeah, that's sorry. right. No, you're right. <laughs> sorry, no, you're right. I was just saying that you know there was that enormous run. Yeah, we're in the late '60s through the '80s, early '90s, or you know, I guess until sure. by wins Secretary of State in '86, Republicans just controlled everything and then all of a sudden it went away it did you know, I, I remember and this is where being with ed tracy and working with it with ed tracy really helped because his appreciation and and here's a guy who was he was you know like mr democrat right and so walking in and ha- and working with him is really the first time i had ever really been exposed in working with someone of the other political party, right? Because I'd worked in partisan politics. And so you walk in and you're like, oh my gosh, this is going to work. And the work. city county council was like 23 it to was 6 23 Republican to 6. That was exactly right. And, um, uh, and so I, I'm walking in thinking, what is this going to be like? Are we, are we going to have anything in common? And it turned out that we had so much in common because we had this great appreciation for the political process. And he was as rabid a D as I was an R, right, at, at the time. But we could sit there and talk about, and he had stories going way back, right, because he, he was with the young Democrats, and he would talk about national conventions and all those things that, and, and he, he was, when he was in Bloomington at IU, he was also, I want to say, party chair. He was in he Monroe, was, Monroe, Monroe, in Monroe County, County party, party chair. And so, and so he was in there stirring the pot. He just, you know, he, he was great at that. But he understood the importance of partisan politics as it related to policymaking, which was really, really an important thing for me to learn. Because um, as much as you, you know, you've got this young person who worked only in 
partisan Republican politics and no exposure really to to the other side of the aisle. But it really gave me a great appreciation for you've got to have two parties and you've got to have two parties in the process because if you don't, then it really is often not not really good for public policy. In 1990, Joe Hogsett runs for his own term as Secretary of State. He beats Bill Hudnut. Who ran that campaign? And how much did that shock you, if at all? Uh, Jewel DeBonis uh, was the campaign manager. There's a name out there. Yeah, she's terrific. She's great. (laughs) Yeah, she's great. And uh, I think ran as, as good as a campaign as you could, right? But you had... Um, clearly you had a, a force, a huge force, Bill Hudnut, who had been around a long time. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's bad. You'd had a couple of factors. Uh, having been in office for so long and having taken Indianapolis to the next level with, mm-hmm. of greatness, mm-hmm. raised taxes, um, and you just had, uh, I think you had folks who said, and you had the, the mantra of Indianapolis. Indianapolis was not beloved, by um, people, what right? is right? But but <laughs> looking at you know you had folks out in the hinterland, and even though Bill Hudnut had been around and done Lincoln Days and spoken, you still had the mantra of somebody from Marion County, and it had been a tough you know it's a tough go, and um, so it was all, that and lots of other issues, and um, so I don't know, frankly, that it surprised me uh, all that much. It hurt hurt me right because sure. you yeah. sure you want someone that you know you've worked for and you, who you know would do a good job. But, here's a um, here's a tough. fun little behind the scenes from that. Joe Hogshead beat Bill Hudnut in large part because he was able to portray him as the imperial mayor. Yeah, I think that's and right. and who was he was actually anything but, but nonetheless, right? Well, that's what I'm getting at. I mean, one of the, one of the prime examples uh, that Hogshead used was the fact that he traveled in a Lincoln Continental. The fact of the matter is Ford Motor Company offered a deal to public officials uh, and gave they wanted public officials riding in Lincoln Continentals and so they would give it give it to them at cost or maybe even less. I think it was and, the, so, and it was it, it was the point was you could have driven in a Pinto or a Lincoln and it would have been the same amount of money being exactly. paid Exactly. But but it's one knew. of those charges that you can't defend right. by you know Right, saying that I want to ride in a in a Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Um, did you, Diane? Did you ever have a chance? Or I'm sure you did. But how close did you come to working for a governor or moving out of the state there were, house? I, there, I wouldn't go move from the house. From the house I, I'm, I'm a, yeah, I was a house girl. I definitely was a house girl through and through. You got involved in some <laughs> campaigns, though, didn't you? Oh, yeah, I mean, very involved in all the campaign. I mean, all the years that I was there. I mean, you know, the old door to door. I mean, going to the ground. That, that was an Ed Tracy. I mean, you know, yep. it was really. I mean, I, Schreiber, Bill Schreiber. I mean, those guys, that was how we won the war. Uh, George Fleetwood, there's another one, you know, that worked with Schreiber, and they started doing polling back then, um, you know, the, the, with Jim Riggs. Jim Riggs, who yeah. I went to high school, graduated oh, high school. I just love Jim Riggs. But, I I, love. You, know, the, you know, yeah, the, the politics of it and the door-to-door and all that, yeah, but never to go. Um, I love Jim Riggs, too. He fed me when I was in high school he? more than once. His daughter and I graduated together. He's brilliant, brilliant man. And was at the 68 convention with Ed Tracy in really, Chicago, the Democrat yeah. one. Were you surprised by the the buy phenomenon? Like, oh, my God, we've actually got a chance to turn things around. And you know, the 90s were kind of the state heyday for Democrats. Yes. Um, there was a lot of up and down, you know, in, in all that. And the numbers were much closer. 
Um, but when you look back at that wave, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a long run. It was a long run. Did it surprise you that it ended or did it surprise you that it lasted as long as it did? C. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What is C? <laughs> you want Shella answer C? <laughs> <laughs> These people don't, they don't have a career in politics by not knowing when to answer. Or when not to, you know? <laughs> yeah, I choose C. Um, <laughs> Lisa, did Mitch Daniels rescue the Indiana Republican party? Jim Kittle, that group, and of course the beloved and late uh, Bill Osterley. Yeah, I, I mean, I certainly, I certainly have to tip my hat to to Mitch Daniels and and him coming in. Well, first, I mean, he was you know a, a Luger. Let's let's remember, Mitch Daniels just didn't start when he ran for governor. He was uh, really an architect of of the the Luger. Um, program and what that did for the city, but I I feel like he he came in and brought a a different brand to the party that was that made it exciting and and was brought back I think because of going out to each county and visiting and 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 you know just kind of listening to people um, I think brought back that um, that brand of of boots on the ground politics really if you will. Um, and, and he in, absolutely did. He and, and absolutely in, did. And in a way where he he listened to people, and at and at at a time when they were sitting in their in their homes at their tables, and, and you know they were talking about things that just meant that, that were important to them, and and that politicians need to take a page out of that and listen to what what matters to people, not all these many lofty things, but sometimes it's what matters to you at five o'clock or seven o'clock in the evening when you come home and you're thinking about your family and you're, you, you know, you're thinking about your future and your kids and all that. And I feel like he took that and in, in a way that very few people can and turned it into, here's how we make Indiana just a, a fabulous place in which to live and work and raise a family. And, and that was just, I, I think it was, Old Daniels is old school and and a brilliant turn at the time and and it was however it was you know overlaid with with kind of a bit of modern day right i mean you you had the opportunity to you know he he threw things up on on the air and he they produced you know little vignettes that you were able to watch on your phone that were really cool and they grabbed at you you know 15, 20 years prior to that, you couldn't. You know, that's when the old school boots in the ground making phone calls was the only way to go. But he he really turned it into modern day, but but used really used those basics. I worked with for a guy named Murray Clark, <laughs> whom all of you know very very well, former yeah. podcast guest a few times. Um, he was working at. Fagri or Baker and Daniels, mm-hmm. whatever it is at the time. And he was chairman of the Indiana Republican mm-hmm. Party, my boss, and had to say what he had to say in that role. Sometimes I wrote it for him, and sometimes he would say, Robert, I can't say that. <laughs> what, was it weird? I mean, you know Murray for a long time, Diane. Was that just when he was coming over? Because what I hear a lot, and we've heard in these podcasts, and we talk about it on when we talk about uh, Indiana Week in Review, is that sometimes you just have to play the role that this is my role for this half hour or for this particular job. Do you get the sense that, that the political folks understand it? Like, Hey, don't give so-and-so a hard time. He's doing what he's got to do. 
Because Ed Tracy, I know, understands that. Mm-hmm. Murray is, look, I, I mean, Murray's done so much. I mean, he's been around, you know, he's right there with us age-wise. Um, yeah. And he's a smart guy um, and has, to your point, said, okay, I have to say this. You want me to, you want, you really want me to say this. Okay, I will do it, you know. Now, trust me, that, that child will push back um, and, you know, calls his own shots. But, you know, I'm sure that he's had many a time sitting around a table with Mitch Daniels and others where we're just like, this is what's going to be done. This is what's going to be said. And that's how it's going to roll. I mean, we've all, ha- we've all had to do that, right? I mean, in some point And do you get the life. sense that the people on the other side, like the Lisa Dietrichs of the world, or, or for Lisa, the Dianes of the world, are like, I get it. Yeah. I'm not oh. mad at you. You had to do what you had to do. This is part of the world. This is the, you know, I hate to use the Hyman Roth yeah. phrase, but this is the profession we've chosen. Right. And what I hear a lot is it's within the parties. We talked to Robin Winston and Mike McDaniel for the podcast, and they were talking about how fellow D's or fellow R's would really give them a hard time. But the other party would be like, yeah, man, you got to say that. Yeah, you got to do that. The, the ones that give them a hard time don't understand the, the politics of it. And, you know, I've always said, you can teach somebody policy. You can't teach somebody politics. And all those that and sit around. Lot, and there are a lot who are unwilling oh, to learn. Oh, oh, oh. Um, <laughs> you, know, it, you know, I was just talking to Jim before, before you, everybody got here. And Schreiber and Lubbers were his first two guests on the show 30 years ago, whatever it was. And um, Mark Lubbers' mom used to say, say, he got you this week. You know, Schreiber always prided himself on being able to just like put one over the net that he just couldn't cut back, right? You know, and it was, I mean, and they had fun and they they loved each other. I mean, they were good friends as the ones that are doing the show now. I mean, they really do have a lot of respect for each other. But back to your point, I know I've gone full circle on this, is that at some point you got to protect the guy you're protecting, whether it's on the second floor, the third floor, the house or the Senate, you know, when they're asking the question, like, well, now the budget, you're going to go and you're going to give X amount of money, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? They got to say, I mean, they got to toe the line. And the ones that give them crap, they just don't get it. And I've always thought, and I'll cede some time to Jim here after this question or assertion, politics would be better if more people were involved. Most of the folks that I know who get all fired up about politics, they've never worked a poll. They've never done oh, a walk God, list. Oh, dear God, no, they've never done that. They've never no. done anything. Right. They just, right. you know, and I'm not going to blame it on social media per se, because, you know, political... Cable TVs. And yeah. Politi- yeah no, political tempers right. have been around a long time, right? Yes. Right. So if more people would be involved and they would have more interactions with the other side, you'd be like, oh, so you were a veteran? Or, you know, oh, you grew up in my neighborhood? Or that sort of thing. And it doesn't happen enough. I wish there were more people involved in politics, not fewer. No, I agree. And quite frankly, it's, you know, in our job that Lisa and I do, um, and I know that the two of us both have great relationships on both sides of the aisle and in both chambers. And I could go through the list, and I know Lisa could do the same thing. I could tell you damn near every one of those legislators sitting in both chambers, how many children they have, how many dogs they've got. (laughs) Like, you know, that's our job. I mean, I think it's really part of our job to know them. We don't have to agree. We can agree to disagree, and we're going we're go to be there for a client. We're going to be speaking on behalf of a client. But it's great to have that relationship and what they do. Um, you know, at the end of the day, they're just people too, right? They, they, they put themselves up to do something I have never done, which is run for office, right? So hats off to, to anyone for making that, 
for, for making that decision. But then they come down here and they have a constituency to represent. And so first, as I think as someone who's in the hallway, you have to understand that. You have to say, you know, it, regardless of what you have, what issue you have, if that won't fly in this legislator's district, then it's just not going to fly. And you just want them to, to, to then to understand, well, if your constituents don't like this, just here's the impact then where that intersection of policy meets kind of the, the, the political, I guess, the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's just kind of where it goes. Well, and at the end of the day, there's very few issues. I mean, there's a handful where they want you to toe the party line. That's really Plain and simple. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. um, and that's harder to do right now because of all the cats they've got to hurt over there with, with two super majorities. Yeah, it is hard. Well, explain this to me because you both, you both work for big law firms that have lobbying teams mm-hmm. that, that are made up of Republicans and Democrats. Mm-hmm. Um, and even small lobbying firms tend to, tend to have a, a Republican lobbyist and a Democrat lobbyist. Um, it, why is that? Is that it's not for the sake of the clients, is it? It's it's because it, when push comes to shove, they they want a, a Republican lobbyist pressing on Republican members and vice versa. Correct. I mean, there's, I'd say there's there's some of that. Just the natural relationships you have if you're involved in partisan politics as as sort of your you know, your hobby, which is what got me to this point. So I certainly, and I appreciate the political process and believe that if you, <clears throat> if you don't appreciate it and you don't really understand, you know, the, the hardcore part of working in politics just on a, you know, volunteer basis or having done it full time for a couple of years, then it's really tough to understand the legislators over there because that's how they got to the state house. They ran for office. And so your ability to appreciate what they had to do to get elected um, and then to stay elected, I think, is important. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's probably could be said that, yes, in, in times, particularly in where there are partisan matters, it's very difficult for someone who's, who's on the other side of the aisle probably to go have a really in-depth conversation, especially if it's someone who remains active in party politics, right? And so um, that's, I mean, you're not going to, I sat on state committee for a while. I, I, it's tough to, for me to go in and talk to somebody about, well, on the other side of the aisle, well, this is really important when I'm sitting over here in, in a partisan sense. So I think that's it. But I, I, I value those nonpartisan relationships or in both caucuses and in both chambers just because nine times out of ten not every you're going to come up against something that is not a partisan issue diane how much do you think local politics as we're discussing it here is influenced by what is happening nationally Mm. i must act this way or say these things or do these things because that's what the national R's or D's are doing, or that's what the national media is covering. When you're when you say local, you mean that limestone building over here? That limestone <clears throat> building. <clears throat> I think that there's a little bit of it. I wouldn't say there's a lot of bit of it, but I do believe there is a little bit of it. But there are pockets of those little bits of people over there. Um, There are pockets. There, there are so, different pockets you, of people over there that you know that kind of fit into that little groove, right? Um, and so I think that there is some. I don't think there's a lot. I think there is some. Do you run into Republican lo- legislators who are unwilling to talk to you because you're a Democrat? Never. 
I don't think they ever, I, I mean, I don't think that is, well, first of all, it's never happened. And when you were asking that question, I think that part of it is longevity. I think that back in the day, it was like Noah's Ark. You had a Republican, you had a Democrat, you know, in the lobby. The fact of the matter is, is that when it comes to politics, you know, okay, I get it. You know, I get it. Um, those of us in the business get it. Everybody gets it. But when we're going in to, to visit with leadership for a client, it is, you know, I, fu- I mean, with Brian Bosma, with Paul Manmiler, with Mike Phillips, with Rod Bray now, I mean, they all go, I mean, name them all, right? They, they go back, whether it was Ed Tracy going in, they had a lot of respect for Ed Tracy. Ed Tracy had a lot of respect for them. And again, I'm going to go back to the institution. I, Diane Masaryu, when I go in with the Mod Squad, as I refer to us, Joe Smith, Chip Garver, and myself, um, Michael Cole, <laughs> let me just take you, some of you people that are listening to this, the Mod Squad back in the day, Clarence Williams. Google it. Or, Google right, it. Yeah, Google, Google the Mod Squad. <laughs> Diane Masaryu, Chip Garver, and Joe Smith. At any rate, when we go in to visit with them, they, I, we have the utmost respect for those that are in leadership in both chambers and both parties, and I know in my heart that they have respect for us and that we're there, we're going to be honest. That's all you got to go on is your word, right? Um, um, and I will tell you that it's, um, no, I, I, I've never had anyone not. Jim, do you have a final question before well, we get to the it, five it, questions? You know, I, I have, uh, over the years encountered people who, when they ask me what I do and I say, I'm a political reporter, they go, Ooh, how do you, <laughs> how do you, how do you stand to, to work in politics? And what I tell them is, is that, um, there's politics everywhere. There's politics at church, at work, at home. Politics is the only place where they call it what it is, so you can suspect everybody's motive. Um, but do you, do you find people uh, who who uh, uh, recoil when they find out what you do? Oh yeah, I mean, it's it, you know it's it's what got for Andy Dietrich. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> Here, go talk to me. Yeah, go talk to my husband. Uh, but yeah, I mean, people are like, oh, oh, you're a lobbyist. Yeah, okay. But lobbying is a specific sort of steak dinners and drinks. and It is. But they don't have pharmaceutical people that go to the doctor's office to have a new drug and want to give the girls candy when they go in so they can see the doctor to help out or Mm -hmm. a dent or something. I mean... It, again, it's just like... There's lobbying uh, everywhere, too. There is. I mean, it's there politics. really is lobbying mm-hmm. You know, I said, right, if I drop dead in this room today before we leave, I am the luckiest girl in the world. I have had the best friendships, the best time of my life over there since 1975. I wouldn't trade it for a, a million dollars. I, got, I have friends in 92 counties, and I have, when I, again... Thank you for allowing us to do this because I had a great time in this small brain of mine going through my Rolodex, and I wish I could name all of them. I, I mean, it was it was so much fun, and I have so much respect for the institution. I so thank you. The friendships you, you oh, yeah, they're, my, they're just politics. they're just especially if you're not willing if you say. I'm not going to go into it demonizing because we all kind of maybe start in politics a bit, you know, more radical, for lack of a better term. I'm going to show them sort of thing. And then you you get a little more mellow, I would guess, during during your growing up years in politics. But if you if you're open minded about friendships and people and you understand what their job is and that, hey, they've got to do this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. It's it's basically unlimited. The great friendships you can have. I feel like you, as you see new legislators get elected and come to the state house, and um, uh, you sit down and have a conversation with them, and you you figure out, okay, what brought them to the prom, right? What mm-hmm. and and in 
if they say, well, I'm here really, I'm here to really change things and make a difference, and um, which are two really different things. And as to, Di <laughs> to Diane's point, you're not going to change the process. And so if you learn that and you get mentored by other legislators over there who talk, who work you through how to get get yourself the arms around the process and work with it, you'll have a great time. And if not, my feeling is that you aren't long for the world because you won't enjoy it. Have either, I know the answer, well, the answer is probably yes to both because you lobby each side. But two of my best friends in politics are in the General Assembly. Friends of mine, my contemporaries, Senator Kyle Walker mm -hmm. and Representative Rob Green. Mm -hmm. What's it like to see them and, and Diane I'm sure you have some examples too of people who you knew 20 some years ago who ended up being in the state house elected official is that you get a little bit of pride when you say man we we worked those long hours together and I knew you yeah. when you were just you know collecting yard signs at 20 years old and now yeah because you're you're happy you, you know they've made that decision right they've they've taken that extra step across across the line to say, you know, I, I understood the, the political process and the public policy process, and, and now I'd like to see if I can, if I can go in a more public way and do it. So uh, very proud of, of both of them. And, and, and frankly, I was around when, you know, folks who were members of the city council are now, they're now legislators. You've oh, got Aaron Freeman. Aaron Freeman, Mike Speedy, Mike Young. Um, and I mean, it just, you... Cherish you know, Pryor, folks, Blake yep, Johnson. Cherish, that's right. And Blake, Blake Johnson, I mean, you had a right. lot of people who have come up through that process and then stepping away from, from Marion County, and I know Rob is not in Marion County, but you, then people, you realize, well, folks from, uh, who are out in the hinterlands from other districts also came up through the, you know, they worked behind the scenes and then they might have been on a, a town board or something and then they came in. So it's, it's really, it's terrific. You know, for me, it was a little bit different. Because I started so young, and I was there on the inside. And, you know, um, so my friendships, you, you know, we, I've lost a lot. I, I, there's a, we've ha I've had many that are, were friends, dear friends that were there that are gone. Um, but, you know, Kyle Walker, look, I love him. Uh, he's been a Just dear friend. His wife's yeah. a dear friend. And he's done a great job. Uh, and he, he's one of those that the institution is important to him. It's not about Kyle Walker. It's about the institution, and he's there for the right reason. And I did introduce myself. You know, that's something I pride myself in is that I go and I meet all the new legislators and introduce myself, and I'll say to them before I leave, go and make an appointment to see the governor, make an appointment to see the lieutenant governor, make an appointment to see the leader of the chamber and mm -hmm. whoever they are, and ask for that. Ask for that meeting, and go and introduce yourself to Rod Bray. Go and introduce yourself to Todd Houston. You are a sitting member now, and you need to reach across the aisle, find a friend. I mean, we need to get back to playing nice in the sandbox and having friends. That's what Louis Mayhern said when he came on with John Mutz. That, <clears throat> that the Democrats said, "Go find a Republican you can work with," yeah. because they were controlling. But yeah. go find someone, and you know they've been friends for fifty years. Yeah. Yep. At least. And you're right. Jennifer Hollowell, smartest person I ever met in politics. Yeah, she, Absolute. She is a good egg. Terrific. Genius. Yep. Yeah, yep. she is. We've reached the point in the Leaders and Legends podcast where we ask the same five questions of all of our guests. Lisa, do you want to do You've already had this once. You want to do it again? Because well, you can change your answers. I, 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 I don't recall what they were. So I don't think Dave Arlen or Joe Slash are going to call you and say, hey, you lied to us the <laughs> okay, first go around. Go, have at it. You ready? Yeah, all right, go. We have to, okay, go. So give us so the first, first question. question Lisa, what was your first job? Um, paid job, like yes. like 
pay beyond for, babysitting. Let's say uh, uh, I worked in uh, in food service at, at uh, Purdue. I was in the cafeteria. If babysitting doesn't count, Westlake Drive-In was my mom's best friend. She owned the Westlake Drive-In over on Beachway Drive, 935 Beachway Drive, Indiana's <laughs> finest outdoor show place. Terry Court's The Last Resort. That's where I worked. <laughs> what yeah, was your, Lisa, what was your first concert? Oh, I'm really embarrassed to say this, because nowadays kids go to concerts before they hit double digits in their age. But for me, because I was this little girl from you know Pennsylvania... I didn't go to a concert until I came to Purdue, and it was uh, Chicago and the Doobie Brothers in Market Square Room. Oh, damn good concert. Damn good concert. Jim, would you like to weigh in? I saw Chicago at the Metropolitan Sports Center in the Twin Cities in 1973, oh, I wow. think. It They're was a tremendous sick. concert. Yeah. Jackson 5. <gasps> Oh, at the drive. So jealous. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. I am so jealous. No. Jackson, Jackson Five, five here. The first time they came to Indianapolis. Market Square Arena. Yes, sir. Our buddy Mark Apple was at that concert. I don't know if you know Mark, who works at uh, Butler now. Number three, if you could suggest any book for someone to read, which book would you recommend? Oh dear God. Jeez. Oh, wow. I don't know. Um. Wow. You don't have to go in order. Diane, if you know yours. I don't. Um, God, we were just talking about books the other day, too. Keep thinking we can edit the pause. The, um, <laughs> I got nothing. I have I'm thinking. For a long time. I got, <laughs> you're just going to have to go to the next question for me. Because I've got Drake nothing right now. Oh, yeah, but oh, that's yeah. not going to be my, like, my book to the say. State House. Um, <laughs> I mean, hell, there's a whole bunch of them over there written books. I yeah, that, yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> I think one that I that I appreciate is um, I oh the places you'll go, Doctor Seuss by Doctor Seuss all the places because you are a traveler, a traveler. extraordinaire. Yeah, she and is. so I how many just, countries have you been to? Do you have the count? Twenty some, twenty five. So, but I, I mean, it's just it's it's you know it's it's not heavy lifting, heavy reading. But I I think it's for people sometimes in politics and nowadays you get you get so dug into mm-hmm. one path that I that book is important for me is just a it's a, a good thing to read to open your eyes make your bed bye I knew you were going to ask me that this is what it's like yeah, no. this is what it's <laughs> like being interviewed by Shella she's consulting the Google God. machine <clears throat> next question if you could witness any event in history, be there in person as it happens, which event would you choose, Lisa? Jeez. While Diane is Googling. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think, you um, I, you know, I grew up in Pennsylvania, I, not very far from Gettysburg, and it would be witnessing Abraham Lincoln give the Gettysburg Address. It's a very popular, very terrific answer. November 19th, 1863. Diane, first you want to say the author. Chris. William McRaven. William McRaven. Make your bed. Um, I don't know, Lisa, that's a pretty darn good one that you just gave. <laughs> um, I think I would have loved to have been with Bill Schreiber and Louis Mayhern with uh, Bob Kennedy here. Mm. Um 
And, and uh, Mike Riley, we did a podcast. Oh dear God, Mike oh, Riley! Yeah, we oh, did a Mike podcast Riley. with Mike Riley. Mike Riley. Ed Tracy said you <sighs> said he was dying. Said he's got cancer. He's dying. You have to talk to this guy. And Tracy's a huge history buff as I am. And I was like, okay, tell me why. And he said he ran RFK's campaign in Indiana in '68. And I'm like, sold. And it was a terrific podcast. What a you know, rest in peace, Mike. What a terrific. I'm go back and listen to that. Terrific conversation. Wow, there's another great one. For this Last question. If you could have dinner with anyone living today, living today, two hours off the record just to chat, whom would you choose? Living today. I'm available. (laughs) (laughs) You and Pat? Most popular answer is Barack Obama. Second most popular answer is probably Paul McCartney. I mean, you know, you can gaze throughout the world. Who do you want? Okay. Living today, with that in mind, um, because I am um, just such a fan, and I saw him when he finally made it here, is I think I'd really enjoy having dinner with Elton John. Elton John? Mm Mm-hmm. Because he's, that's, I, I, Brilliant, he's, genius, he's, yeah, yeah, and, and, and has and just stories. How, I'm sure, and how like he crazy. grew up, yeah, yeah. How he just, you know, how he he came and how what how wonderful he was about Ryan White. Yes, mm-hmm. I mean, it's he has mm-hmm. a very a multifaceted. Um, <sighs> wow, there's so many. I mean, there really are. Sure. That's hard. I have my answer. I'll pick down until you said living. Um, Tim Jeffers doesn't do anything tonight. <laughs> There's a great one. Uh, I know. I just, you, you got me stumped. There's. I just. There's choose no, one. There's I know. One. I know. I'm no. I'm trying. I'm really. I'm trying to think of somebody. Um, that's not like media related. Politically, because that, that really takes. Out I know. Shell. Yeah, it really does take on Shella then. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> oh, I, I say this all the time. I, I, my husband would tell you I say this all the time. Um, I would love to have a beer with Kevin Costner. Hmm. Perfectly acceptable answer. Are you inviting your husband to that beer? No? <laughs> Let the record show she shook her head down. <laughs> Last question. Diane, tell me about Lisa Dietrich. Mm. Well, I just said earlier, she's our little Mary Tyler Moore. She's one of those people that when she walks in the door, she greets you with a smile. Her heart is always happy. She is kind and she's smart. She loves to cook, and she loves her family. Lisa, tell me about Diane Masario. Well, she is someone whom I have admired for a long time, in particular in her role at the State House. And I, I can I can remember her standing up because you know she's nine feet tall, right? <laughs> and so heads for many many reasons, 
heads and shoulders above lots of people, lots of the men over at the state house. Always someone who she comes with, and this is as I tell interns, a no job to small mentality, which in our business is an important thing to have, and not enough people have it. But she knows everything she is interested in and knows so much about each person that she sincerely wants to know about your family and your life. And when she talks about a Rolodex, she has, I'm sure, probably a physical one, but she has a mental one that she remembers those things. But I have worked with her in on many client um, efforts. She is dedicated, she is smart, and she thinks about what is important to each person, the person she has to go and talk to, and she has to, to spell out this issue. And But there's never a, well... No, I'm not going to do that. There is always, what, what is the best way to do this? And for that, I admire her so much because she is a true team player. And you have to be a team player at the state house Because in some cases, when you are opposing each other for some reason, you may need to be best friends the next day. Diane has the utmost credibility she has integrity, she is honest, and she is a beautiful person inside and out. And I have enjoyed working with her. Would you each like to say a word about Jim Shella? <laughs> now stop it. <laughs> I will say this. I miss Jim Shella. I do too. At the State House. I miss his presence. I miss I miss I miss Jim I miss Hessler behind too. Hessler. Mm-hmm. Um I I uh, I, 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 I still walk past your shack and the doors open and I still think I'm going to see him in there. That's right. Mm-hmm. It just, you know what? You just, you, you, you miss it. And, and yeah. it may, that's also, I think, hearkening back to a time when you, you just felt more comfortable about the media and, and, you know, the day to day. You had such working. a presence there. You had such a presence. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I always felt like you, you knew you had a job to do, but you really enjoyed it. Right. You and Hessler, you, you really enjoyed it. And, and you didn't, you, you, you know, you didn't let the hard work get in the way of the enjoyment, which you can, that can happen over there. And you did the work. Yeah, you did the work. Yeah. <clears throat> you have been listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, an Indiana-based public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and NFP, a national insurance broker with strong local content. Lisa, will you hold my hand for this part? I will. As always, all our podcast interviews are dedicated to the legacy and generosity of P.E. McAllister. God bless P.E. God bless. Our guests have been Lisa Dietrich, Diane Masario, longtime friends, Incredibly respected. I cannot tell you how kind you've been to me in my career. And it's long overdue that we had you on the podcast. Thank you, Jim. As always, you make the podcast so much better. You're welcome. Yeah, this was fun. Yeah, this thank was you. great fun. Yeah, thank thank you. you for the and honor. It's my thank last, you. Because yeah. I'm retiring. Thank you. So. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com. Mm-hmm.